Hello, my name is Larry Hiles. I'm the preaching minister at the Milford Church of Christ. Thank you for taking the time to watch or listen to this message. Please feel free to share it with friends. Also, if it's impacted your life in any way, reach out to us and let us know how. If you live in the Centerburg or Mount Vernon area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 3648 Johnstown Road in Centerburg, Ohio. We look forward to the opportunity of meeting you. If you have your Bibles with you, open them up to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, our primary text is going to be verses 21 through 31 uh, this morning. I'd like to start off with a question, though, and here's the question. It's this, is how do you know you know? It's a, it's a, I think it's a simple question. How do you know you know? Right? If, uh, um, how do you, I feel some kind of variation of this question a lot in ministry. How do I know if I'm saved or not? How do I know if I close my eyes today for the final time that I'll find myself in the presence of the Creator? How do I know if I've done enough, been good enough, believed enough of the right stuff? This is a question that I think... I mean, we should wrestle with this question. Each of us should have an answer to this question. How do you know you know? And, and as I was praying about this message this morning, uh, there's one thought that kept popping into my mind. I think there are more people that wrestle with some kind of variation of this question than not. Uh, and so uh, the struggle creeps in deceptively as well. It's hidden in questions like this. Uh, have I done enough in accepting Christ? Do I believe the right things about Jesus? Have I checked off the right boxes? What about the sins that I struggle with? And, and how are all these things taken care of? Uh, so this is a question that I think we need to understand. I confessed Jesus to be the Lord of my life on uh, January the 8th of 1995. Uh, the preacher, he sat across the table from me on January the 4th, and he shared the gospel with me. And I still remember the moment that freedom flooded my soul, that moment that I thought, well, there's no way that God could forgive me like I was some kind of special sinner as opposed to uh, other sinners. Uh, and to think that God, the God that I had been dodging my whole life, and this was the thing that did it for me. This was the, the moment that I understood what took place is that God took his own punishment for me in the form of Jesus Christ. And, and it was that moment that I knew I needed to give my life to him. And the truth is, is that what happened uh, through faith or through grace in that moment in my life, and I'm speaking about me here for a moment, in my life was quickly replaced with religious expression. Uh, so I went from faith to works pretty quickly in my life. Uh, not only in my personal life, but I went from faith to works even in ministry because I, I went into ministry fairly early in my following of Christ. And, and so please don't hear what I'm not saying in some of this stuff. And I'm going to say that more than once this morning because there's a, a danger in sharing some of the things that I'm going to share. It's like, well, does my faith matter? Does how I express my faith matter? Yes, all of those things matter. In fact, next week when we open up into Romans chapter 4, we're going to talk about Abraham and how faith is expressed and, and what we need to see in our own lives. So faith in our expression does matter. But the truth of the matter is this, is that oftentimes we point to our expression of faith as the very reason or the very thing that's going to save us. For me, uh, it was my response. For me, it was knowing my truth. For me, it was my doctrine. And what happened with me is that as I was reading and preaching through God's word, I came across passages of scripture that challenged that narrative in my life. Now, please understand, it didn't challenge my expressions of faith. Those things remain the same, but it challenged the narrative. I understood that I wasn't going to be able to stand before God and be right with him because I was right about God. I wasn't going to be able to point to my faith expression. I wasn't even going to be able to point to my doctrine as a reason that I could stand before God. It was all his grace, and it was the book of Ephesians for me. In particular, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, where it declares, 
In him you also, after listening to the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance under the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. And, and so there's a key phrase in there, and that key phrase is found in the very first two words where it says, in him. It's in him, so all the promises of God are found in Christ. And so I come to this realization that the, the promises of God were not found or realized because I got it right about God or I expressed my faith in a certain way or I understood the Bible in a certain way. No, it's found in Christ and it's through faith in him. Paul would go on to say in this great letter, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in him. Now, to me, these are Bible-closing passages. And here's what I mean by Bible-closing passages. Have you ever found yourself in God's word? Maybe you do your reading in the morning or uh, another time, and you come across a passage of Scripture where it just makes you push back away and you think and you meditate and you begin to ask questions, God, what do you want me to see here? God, what are you calling for me to do here? And from that moment on in my own walk with Christ, I, I was no longer right with God because I got it right about God. I stopped seeing my responses of faith as the reason why God had to accept me. Once again, I'm not declaring my responses of faith were wrong. Uh, from what the Bible said, what I was understood, I came to this point in this realization is that my faith was a response and a trusting in God's grace. And so the primary thing that I pointed to from that moment on until even this moment now is that I am saved by grace through faith. It's not my faith first, it's the grace first that Jesus Christ died for my sins. For years, I, I put, preached the gospel or I put the heavy lifting on my response or having the right response to faith, right? Uh, please don't hear what I'm not saying. Once again, I do believe that our faith in God's word and what God calls us to do are expressed in certain actions. I believe them wholeheartedly. That's why I'm back here at my home church. That's why I'm back where, uh, you know, I, I believe the things that are, I believe that we're supposed to believe in Jesus Christ that we're supposed to repent of our sins, that we're supposed to confess Jesus Christ to be the Lord of our lives. I believe we're supposed to submit to Christian baptism. I, I, I believe that we're supposed to chase holiness. These are all responses of faith, but all of that is a response to God's grace. And so we point to God's grace as the primary reason. Um, before we pray and dig into our passages of Scripture this morning, I, I want to ask a question. And I think it's a question that all of us need to wrestle with. I, once again, how do you know you know? How, how do you know? How do you know? So, and, and when we get into God's word here, we may find some changes that need to take place. We may find support for things that we already believe, or we may have to come to an understanding for the very first time that we need to submit our lives to Jesus Christ as Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, once again, we thank you for this moment and this opportunity. We have been clearly shown from Romans thus far the need that we have for the gospel, that we're beyond a shadow of a doubt sinners in need of your grace. Father, I pray your spirit will guide us through uh, our time in your word, and I pray that we will allow your word, Lord, to examine our hearts, to change our minds, and to place us in a right relationship uh, with you. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So last week, I closed our time together saying next week we're going to focus in on the most important paragraph in the Bible. I believe that Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26 is the most important place in all of Scripture. Uh, and, and, and not only do I believe that, I, a lot of theologians share that same thought. In fact, Martin Luther called this the chief point of the whole Bible. Everything centering around here. So let's understand why. So what was the primary point of Paul's letter? Do you remember what the primary point of what we've been focusing on? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ is the primary point. Paul declared in Romans chapter 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, but the righteous will live by faith. We have made the journey with Paul from this foundational point uh, of this letter, uh, that the gospel of Christ is the key to everything. And it's in the gospel of Christ that righteousness is revealed. That's a key word for us from this text that we're looking at and from the entire point of the book of Romans. Uh, and so the argument can be made, and it's summed up in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Because by the works of law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. We've spent a great deal of time so far in this letter proving the fact that all of us have a need for salvation. You see, the Gentile, the Greek, they can't stand before God based upon uh, their misunderstanding or not having the law. In fact, they have the law written upon their hearts. Paul has made that clear. The Jew wouldn't be able to stand before God and say, listen, we have kept the law and we've done all these. No, uh, each group of people need to understand this reality that the law is given for one primary purpose. And do you know what that primary purpose is? To condemn. It's to condemn that when we come to the law, whether it be that natural law that's written upon our hearts or that specific law that was given to the Jew, the law does the very same thing. It condemns. It makes us aware of the fact that we are not justifiable. We cannot stand before God based upon our works or our understanding. And so Paul's already declared that salvation is available to everyone who believes and, and that God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. And so there's that idea, faith. Faith in what? Faith in who? Well, let's pick up at verse 21 in Romans chapter 3. But now, but now, Paul's going to make this transition here. He's making a transition from what many believe uh, the law was supposed to do to actually what the law did, to the power that's found in the law. He's effectively pointed to the reality of our sin. We're all guilty, right? Every single one of us. And, and later in this text, he's going to say this in, in Romans chapter 8, for what the law could not do. Weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So now back to verse 21 where he says, but now apart from the law, that's that general law that's written on the part of all humanity. That's that specific law that was spoken or written to the Jew. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested or made known, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. What is this righteousness of God? 
This righteousness of God that's being mentioned here is the ability or the right standing before God. It is of God, and it's the key point for us this morning. We fight hard to earn our righteousness, don't we? We fight hard to point to the reasons as to why we know we know. And oftentimes it's in our expression of faith or our, our statements of faith. This righteousness was given to us from God apart from any system of law. It's apart from anything that we can do other than that work of faith. And so righteousness or right standing before God comes through faith. And, and although this righteousness is apart from the law, there's another key phrase in here that we need to grasp, and it's this one. It's that it's testified to. See, the fact is, is that we can go to every aspect in this great book and we can understand that God has pointed to this reality all the way back, and I, I like the term rope better than thread as well, all the way back to that rope that finds its way through Scripture found back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The plan of God was always to send Jesus Christ to die for our sins because all of us need that in our lives. I'm currently reading through the first five books of the Bible in my devotional reading. In fact, if you're doing the Foundations 260 reading plan with us, you are as well. Uh, and so I'm a, a little bit ahead of that plan. And this week I finished up the book of Leviticus. And, and I've always been blown away looking into this sacrificial system that God has provided for us so that we can have an understanding of what takes place. You know, even back in the law, even in the Old Testament, God provided a system of sacrifice so that the Jew, when they found themselves breaking the law, could offer up a sacrifice and remain in right standing with God, to remain righteous before him. We don't have time to look at all of that, but we can focus in this morning on Leviticus chapter 16. In Leviticus chapter 16, Moses clarifies the Day of Atonement. For us, you might know, have heard of Yom Kippur. Has anybody heard of Yom Kippur or read that on your calendars? Uh, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, was the one day that God set aside for the people of Israel um, to remove their sin as a whole from them. And so what would happen is after the high priest, and when it was first established, after Aaron himself would offer a sacrifice for his own sins, Right? He would then take two goats, and one goat would be sacrificed, and one goat would become the scapegoat. Uh, and so he would sacrifice the bull for his own sin and the goat for the sins of the people of Israel, and he would take that blood, and he would put it upon the mercy seat. The mercy seat was part of the Ark of the Covenant, which is the, where the Jew believed the presence of God resided there. Uh, and so he would sprinkle some of that blood on the mercy seat, uh, and then take some out and put it in the altar. But let me read it from the text. And, and, and please understand, I, I know we're going to go through a lot of Scripture this morning, but I think it's key for us to grab a foundational understanding of what's happening. Uh, Leviticus chapter 16. This is what it says. Then he shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil to do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull. And he shall sprinkle it on the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the sons of Israel and because of their transgression in regard to all their sins. And thus he shall do for the tent of meeting which abides with him in the midst of their uncleanness. Now when he goes to make atonement in the holy place, no one shall be in the tent of meeting until he comes out. 
that he may make atonement for himself and for his household and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before Yahweh and make atonement for it. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar on all sides with his finger. He shall sprinkle some blood on it seven times and cleanse it and set it apart as holy from the uncleanness of the sons of Israel. Verse 20. And when he finishes making atonement for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring near the live goat. Then Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all their transgressions in regard to all of their sins. And he shall lay it on the head of the goat and send it out into the wilderness by the hand of the man ready to do this. And the goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an isolated land, and he shall send out the goat into the wilderness. That's where we get the idea of the scapegoat. And so we get this picture of what's going on in our head, uh, that back in the law and setting up the most important things for the people of Israel, God painted a clear picture for them that sin had to be dealt with. And so when sin was dealt with, it was removed by the blood of Christ. We'll, we'll focus on that a little bit more here later. And the truth is, is that the prophets pointed to this reality as well. Isaiah chapter 53, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of Yahweh been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of a parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, no appearance that we should desire him. For he was despised and forsaken, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised. Yet we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteem him stricken, smitten by God. Verse 5. For he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our peace fell upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. The prophet goes on to say, we all like sheep have gone astray. And so what we can see, this clear picture when we think about God's word and his will, is that the cross was not a, sec the cross was not a secondary plan of God. It was always the primary point because all of humanity, both Jew and Gentile, had sinned. The law and the prophets point to the reality for the need of the cross, point to the reality for the need of Christ. If that's not enough, the writer of Hebrews would declare. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from the dead and works to serve the living Lord. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant so that since death has taken place for the redemption of the trespasses we, uh, that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of our internal inheritance. So when you consider all this, when the, the law and the prophets point to this, Jesus became the fulfillment of that. Is it any wonder that Jesus, when he looked at Nicodemus and said, how can you not know? 
How can you not know that you need to be born again? The law and the prophets, they testify to this very reality. And so Jesus or Paul wanted to make sure that they understood this fact. And, and, but now, for the first time in history, God wants all of humanity to know that there is a way to be made right with him, and that way has nothing to do with keeping the law of Moses. That way has nothing to do with keeping that general law that's written upon our hearts. The law of Moses pointed to this need. The prophets confirmed this need. We all need salvation. We all need righteousness. And that righteousness is apart from anything that we can do for ourselves. And from that foundation, I want to answer the question, how do you know you know? How can we attain righteousness? And here's the first answer. So righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 3, 22 and 23. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Whose righteousness is this? It's God's righteousness, it's what He gives. And how does one attain that righteousness? And, and it's attained through faith, uh, which we already know this to be true. Paul's already declared the gospel as the power of salvation for everyone who does what? Believes. Everyone who trusts. And so what is our faith? And next week, like I said, we'll, we'll focus a little bit more on this. But quickly, faith is belief. It's trust. It's submission. It's obedience. And, and so we can dig through God's word and find a great many passages that talk about faith and salvation. There's entire systematic theology that declares that salvation comes by faith alone, which it's technically true. Technically. So then we've got to define what is faith and how is it expressed. Far too long, we've used this word faith very loosely, right? Faith is, 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 is in what is what we have to answer. Is it faith in spirituality? That's what the world wants us to believe. If you turn on television shows like Oprah's show that used to be on the TV, she would declare that she was a spiritual person. And spirituality is that buzzword that's around our world today. Well, I'm spiritual. I talk to God. So, so, but what does that faith really mean? So Jesus said, uh, Jesus, I, I, I'm sorry, let me slow down here for a second. Jesus, what does that mean? I believe that he existed. I believe that he died. I believe that he rose again. And the fact is, is when we look at Scripture, what does Scripture say? Even the demons believe in Jesus. They believe. So has your faith led you to repentance of sins? Has your faith led you to confess Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life? Has your faith put you in a position to submit to Christian baptism? Has your faith led you on a chase for holiness? Has your faith led you to become part of a Bible-believing, preaching congregation where you can grow with other people? If there's mere mental acknowledgement of Jesus Christ existing and that's all that God desires for us, then it's true. Most of the world is a Christian. In the United States of America, that's 62% of the people, uh, as we've learned. Uh, some people have faith in faith, right? And since they have faith, everything's okay. Uh, it's not our faith in faith that saves us, friend. It's our faith in Jesus Christ that saves us. Let me ask you a question. When you get into an airplane, what do you put your faith in? Yeah, the pilot? What else? Who else? The mechanic? 
You put your faith in a mechanic, right? That they've fixed the airplane, they've checked it before it goes. I mean, if I have to pre-trip a school bus before I take it out, I, I hope there's mechanics pre-tripping an airplane before it goes uh, up into the sky. So we put our faith in a pilot. We put our faith in mechanics. Who else do we put our faith in? We put our faith in air traffic controllers. We put our faith in the plane itself. Right? Your, your faith is in the mechanic's ability that the plane is safe. Your faith is in the pilot's ability to keep that plane in the air, but more importantly, to land that plane. Right? Uh, so it's, it's one thing to fly the plane, but you've got to land the plane as well. You can't have faith in a car the same way you have faith in a plane. A car is not going to fly. If a car finds itself in the air, it is going to fly, but it's going to fly in one direction, downward, and very fast. Right? You put your faith in the people that are sitting in the air traffic control tower. I asked Rick this question this morning. What I assume to be true about an air traffic controller is that they not only help the plane know when they can take off, but they also let the plane know once they're in the air how far they have to go before they start making turns. Why is that? Because there are other planes coming in. See, your faith isn't just in faith itself when you get in an airplane. It's in all of these other aspects. Why is it that we allow people or even sometimes ourselves to have this generalized faith and say, well, it's my faith that saves me? Well, no, it's the object of your faith that saves you. It's the object that's there. It's at this point that there's a great danger that sneaks in, right? If my faith saves me, then I better make sure I have a perfect faith. And so that has, that's separated churches from one another over the past 2,000 years. And I'm not declaring that there's no action steps that we must take to put our faith in Christ. What I'm saying is, is there's never a perfect expression of faith in Jesus Christ. No one will ever be fully right about every doctrine. We all need to rely upon God's grace. So our problem arises when we try to explain away passages of Scripture that, that because they don't fit our system. So in essence, it's, it's not our faith in the system that will save even, it's faith in Jesus Christ. And this righteousness is available to who? To all those who will believe. To all those who will put faith in Christ. I, I get tired of the world trying to tell us that Christianity is too exclusive. That Christianity leaves too many people out. The truth of the matter is, is that Jesus Christ is the way to the Father, but he's open to all people, not just to the Jew, the Gentile, not just to the white man, but the, white, the black man, the brown man, the yellow man, and every man, not just to the conservative, but to the liberal. Jesus Christ, his faith, uh, his salvation is available for all who will believe in him. And why is this important? Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short. So this is what the argument that we've been making. So apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. And this righteousness was pointed to by the law and the prophets. So uh, righteousness comes through faith in Christ. But how does faith in Jesus bring us salvation? This leads to our next point. And it's justification comes through the blood of Christ. Look at verses 24 and 25. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith for a demonstration of his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. So if I'm guilty of sin, and I am, then how can I be declared righteousness? I mean righteous. Do you see what it says? 
It says through grace. It says through grace. Being justified as a gift by his grace. Does this mean that God is just going to ignore his sin? No. He's not just going to ignore sin. He's not a permissive parent that winks at our, winks at our disobedience. He's not a, a doting grandfather that laughs at a grandchild who just has a little rebellious streak in them. No, God is holy and is just and he can never ignore our sin. Now, we could spend weeks discussing the theological truths of the verses that we just read, but over the next few moments, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will make clear what these verses are declaring. It's a free gift of grace and it's seen through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. To the redemption, what does the word redemption bring to mind? It brings to mind a buying back or, or a paying for. And the Jewish mindset, they would have clearly understood this. They would have went back to the Exodus and the Passover lamb. Uh, and we just read about that uh, this last week with a Passover lamb that, that God told them to sacrifice and put the blood on their doors so that the death angel would pass over their house. They would have went back to the kinsman redeemer back in Leviticus chapter 25. Go back and read that, that everyone who was in slavery or land could even be purchased back if there was somebody by a kinsman redeemer. The Roman mind would have understood uh, being brought back for a price. So the next question that's debated over and over again is this, is brought back from what or from whom? What, what are we redeemed from? The first thing we got to understand is that we're not redeemed from Satan. Satan does not own us. Uh, God is not paying a price to Satan to, to buy us back from him. See, Jesus didn't die upon a cross and, you know, or, and go suffer in hell like some people will teach and say that he went to hell for three days so that he could pay that redemption price and redeem back all of those who would put faith in him. Satan has no authority. He's a created being and he's awaiting his final judgment for an eternity in hell with those who will suffer with him. Some believe that God's making a payment to himself. Now think about that for a moment. How much sense does that really make that God would send his son, who's him, to die on a cross to appease himself? So, so what's we, we, what are we being redeemed from? I believe what's the redemption that's taking place is the fulfillment of God's law. Remember, he's already declared, the law and the prophets testify to this very thing. Elsewhere, Paul would write, in him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our transgressions according to the riches of his grace. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. And stick with me here for just a couple of moments. Verse 25 again, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Through faith. Once again, did you notice the one who's active here? It's God. He's the active one here. And to be a propitiation, that's a, a big word. If you have the NIV, uh, it's a sacrifice of atonement. If you have the Christian Standard Bible, it's an atoning sacrifice. It's the New Living Translation translate that as, as a sacrifice for sin. And the truth be told, it's a difficult word to translate. What does this word propitiation mean? Well, it means a covering. In fact, if you go back to the Septuagint, this word is also used for the very mercy seat, going back to the blood that was sprinkled on by Aaron the high priest. This word is used for that seat right there itself, the mercy seat. So it's a covering. 
It's a covering for our sin. Some people would translate this as an idea of expiation, meaning to wipe away our sins. Uh, some believe the idea of propitiation is a satisfaction of God's wrath, and, and it's all of those things. But to clearly understand this, this is what I want us to see this morning from this, is that God covers those that he loves. He covers our sin. And that sin is covered by the blood of Christ. I wish we had time to go through all of Hebrews 10, but to better grasp this, look at chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, since it is, has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year after year, make perfect those who draw near. The law points to our need. The law offers a yearly sacrifice of atonement for sins, verses 3 and 4. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. God never intended for that sacrificial system to be a mean by, means by which eternal salvation was given. It was only a shadow of the good things to come, verses 11 through 14. And every high priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins, but he, having offered once for sins for all time, set down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies are put as a footstool for his feet. For by the one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And as I think about this, and I know there's a lot coming at you here, it's this clear picture that we should see. Jesus Christ is the once and for all sacrifice that every single one of us need. He's the once and for all covering for our sins. And remember, we're all there. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no one left out of that reality. There are many who have a hard time accepting that Jesus had to die for our sins. Why would God demand blood? And I know it may sound a bit strange, but here's my answer. I don't fully know why, but God does. The only thing that I can grasp from this reality is this, that it becomes a fulfillment of what was written in the law. And here's the idea that we've got to grasp. And the only way that this is different from all of those other sacrifices is Jesus. The only reason that I can point back to the blood of Christ is that it fulfills what God had demanded in, law, in the law of Moses. And as the writer of Hebrews declared, once and for all, it would take care of sins for everyone who would put faith in, in Christ and what he accomplished. Everyone. All of us. One of my favorite TV shows on TV for a long time was American Pickers. Did anybody else like American Pickers? Now, before you try to tell me all those shows are set up, I, I realize there's a reality that some of those shows are set up. And, and, and so, and, and even at times, they, they kind of knew where they were going and the things they were going to see. I, I realize all of those things, but I still like the show. So you don't have to ruin it for me by coming up and telling me those things. And so these guys would travel the United States of America looking for things to buy uh, that many would consider junk. And I, I love the opening line early to the show. It changed, but the early opening line when the, you know, the narrative that was spoken was this. I'm Mike Wolf, and I'm Frank Fritz, and we are pickers. We travel the back roads of America looking for rusty gold. We're looking for amazing things buried in, people, uh, in people's barns. What most people see as junk, we see as dollar signs. We'll buy back anything we think we can make a buck on. And it was that line of what most people see as junk. 
we see as dollar signs. I don't fully grasp the necessity of the cross of Christ. The one thing I do get is that from the cross of Christ, we get the love of God. From the cross of Christ, we get the covering for our sins. From the cross of Christ, we get the hope of life. And the value of something or someone is determined by the price that somebody's willing to pay for it. That's what blew me away about this show, right? That these guys were so wise that they understood that they were going in and picking up some old bike that was rusty and had missing one wheel. And they understood, well, if we refurbish this, we can sell this for $10,000. And so they're giving the person that's got this rusty old bike sitting in a barn that's packed away, they're giving them $5,000 because they know they can make $5,000 off of it. And friends, here's what I want us to grasp in this reality. When God sees us, he doesn't see us as worthless and without value. There's salvation available for all who would believe in Christ, for those who would put themselves under the blood covering of Christ, for those who would put faith in him. Take a look at the rest of Romans 3, verses 25 and 26. For a demonstration of his righteousness, because in his forbearance, In the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. Does that mean they went unpunished? No. Go back and read the Old Testament again. God punished the Israelites for their unfaithfulness. Verse 26, for the demonstration of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Christ. I think we find in these verses the reason the cross was necessary, because God is just. God is the justifier of those who will put faith in Jesus Christ. So, righteousness comes through faith in Christ. Justification comes from the blood of Christ. One final point. Faith in Christ removes the need for boasting. Uh, Let's look at Romans 3, 27 through 31. Where then is boasting? Is it excluded? By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since indeed God, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that faith, is one. Do we then abolish the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. So what Paul is declaring there is that the cross of Christ and faith in Christ fulfills the very point and purpose of the law. And there's so many theological things that could be opened up from that. But what I want us to grasp is this. We can't boast in something we didn't earn. Right? It's through faith in Christ. Look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The great news to us is that we cannot earn our salvation. We can just accept through faith what God has done for us in his grace. And and let's wrap up this morning by focusing in on the most important question that you'll ever be able to answer, and it's this. It goes back to that very same question I started off with. How do you know you know? I mean, of all the other things, perhaps you've heard the adult Charlie Brown voice up here this morning, because I know, I know I have unloaded a lot of information on you this morning. And and you might remember when we started this series off, I said not every message is going to be one of those 
messages that we run out of the room and where we think, man, I'm glad I heard that today. But every message is important because it sets a foundation for us so that we can have this clear understanding. And here's the clear understanding, friend. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But through the redemption that comes by Christ Jesus, we can be redeemed to him by our faith in his grace. So have you put faith in the grace of God? Do you know you're right with God because you got it right about God? Do you know you're right with God because you said the right prayer, got the right baptism, go to the right church, do the right things, or do you know you're right with God because he got it right for you? Do you know because you're resting in, trusting in, relying upon the cross of Jesus Christ for your hope alone. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the expressions of faith. And I hope you stick with this because it's important. It's important. Next week, one of the things we're going to be looking at is this reality, is this reality is that partial obedience is full disobedience. It's full disobedience, and that's a lesson that we're going to learn from Abraham. But for today, I want us to leave here focusing on the object of our faith, and it's Jesus Christ. Have you trusted him? Have you trusted him? Do you know you're a sinner in need of his grace? Have you experienced the full expression of God's love in Jesus Christ? Remember, the Bible declares, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's through faith in Christ and faith alone in the grace of God through Christ that we'll one day be able to stand before God and know, and know. You know what's amazing to me? Is that's the reason the Bible was written. John even tells us at the end of his gospel that Jesus did many other signs and miraculous things so that people would believe and that by believing they would have life in his name. Friends, do you have that life? Do you understand you're a sinner in need of his grace? You can leave here this morning knowing that you know. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this morning and for this opportunity that we've had to be in your word, for this opportunity to be challenged by the truths of your word. So God, help us to, to have a clear understanding and a grasp of what I believe is the most important paragraph in the Bible that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that you have justified those who will put faith in Jesus Christ, who became a covering for our sins, so that by faith in his blood, we can know that we know. We can have the hope of life. We can walk out of here knowing that no matter what takes place, that Jesus will raise us up on the last day. So God, whatever it be that keeps us from taking that step of faith, may today be the day we make it. We pray these things in your son's most holy name. Amen. We are going to sing a song of invitation. And if you need to respond in any way or want to pray in any way, I'd love to meet you down here in front. Let's stand as we sing victory in Jesus.